because I wasn't sure whether to be inspired by this man's dream, which was obtained through the ultimate sac- his ultimate sacrifice, or to cry at the great loss for his family and for others who are grieving him and maybe for others who are grieving those that they've lost this Memorial Day weekend. But as I watched that video, it reminded me that to accomplish lofty dreams, it sometimes means great sacrifice. But it also reminded me on a weekend that that I'm blessed to be able to spend time with my wife and our children and our grandchildren to make sure that my personal dreams don't rob my family of precious time and years to enjoy with them. On this special weekend, on this Memorial Weekend, we're concluding a series of messages examining the practical teachings from the Bible for everyday life. It's a it's entitled, just was entitled Life. And this, this morning, we're concluding this series by looking at the summit. We're looking at the summit of life dilemmas as we examine the all-important question, what is the proper personal response to Jesus? On this weekend, we're not going to dismiss our sixth through eighth graders because The message is going to be a little briefer than normal because we're going to have an opportunity to witness some baptisms at the end of this service, and we're thrilled about this. And on this day that we've designated as Baptism Sunday, we also want to look at and examine the question, why is baptism by immersion an appropriate response to Jesus? We hope to answer that question today. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask God to just bless our time together. If you would, pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for what a great God you are, that we were able to sing about you this morning. We thank you that you are a a God that invites us to be your children. And we're so grateful for that, Father, and so thankful for your love for us and the love that you've extended to us and demonstrated and proven through the sacrifice of giving your son. Help us today just to look at what your word has to say and what Jesus had to say about as an appropriate response to his love and his sacrifice. And I pray that you'll give me the words and the wisdom to know how to communicate the things on my heart in such a way that everyone will leave here with a crystal clear understanding of what it means to respond to the love that you've shown us in Jesus. So I just pray, Father, that you'll just work powerfully through your spirit during this time and put it on each person's heart how they might respond to this message. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we uh, think of our intro video regarding mountains, this guy that climbed the six or seven peaks of each continent, uh, it's important to note that Jesus interacted with mountains during his time on earth. We read about that in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. 
When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, and we could keep on going through the list. Here we see while on this mountain, Jesus spends the night praying to God as he's preparing to summons to him a select few to accept the call to follow him and and to be trained by him to provide leadership for those who would be like them and follow in their footsteps, people like us. The Latin root of the word summit is the Latin word summum, which means highest. We hear a derivative of that word this time of year when we hear of someone graduating. Maybe you've been to a graduation where they talked about cum laude, magna cum laude, summa cum laude. What that means is with honors, with great honors, and summa cum laude means with highest honors or highest praise. Now, some of us, when we graduated, maybe there was just us giving praise and maybe our parents that we were finally done, okay? But there's others that graduate with the highest honors. Jesus climbed up to this mountain and he called 12 that he invited to be his apostles. They were given a high calling, a highest honor of following him. And after these first followers spent some considerable time with him, and you can read about that in Luke's gospel, when we get to Luke chapter 9, we find that Jesus calls them to respond. He calls them to respond to what he'd been teaching them and what he'd been impressing upon them and what they'd witnessed in his life and his example and his miracles. And so let's read about this call to respond as we ask ourselves, have we responded to Jesus in a similar way? In Luke chapter 9, verse 18, it says, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Do you notice how Jesus did that often? I find that inspiring. Here he is, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and yet he felt his need and saw his need to be in constant, continual communication with the Father. That's, I think, the source of so much of his strength and power. I think we could learn from that. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Here we see Jesus is calling Peter and all these guys and actually all of us to respond to who he is and to respond with faith. So each of us are invited into this question. Who do we say Jesus is? Do you believe like Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah? And by the way, the word Christ and Messiah are actually the same words. So if you're reading a translation and yours says the Christ, That's the Greek and the Hebrew is Messiah. It means the anointed ruler from God, God's son, 
who came to provide not only eternal salvation, but he came to provide security and leadership for our daily lives. So the question is, how have you responded to Jesus? We see here that Jesus is inviting them to believe. So our, if, you're t- if you're a person that likes to take notes, there's four blanks in the message notes you'll find in the bulletin. In the first blank, you could just put the word belief, to believe. Now, it's one thing to say that Jesus was real, a historic figure, a significant leader in history. There's, there's no denying that. History records that. Yet the tougher question is, how have we responded to him? Have we really believed in him? And that word believe is, is, a, is a rich word. It's, it's, a, it's a much deeper word than sometimes we give credit to. This is, this is not just saying, do we have intellectual uh, assent that Jesus is who he claims to be? But the question is belief. Do we really trust him? Have we placed our total trust in Him. This idea of trusting faith is, is much more than intellectually believing that He existed. It's a, it's a faith that you're willing to put your trust in Him. I tried to think of an example that would help illustrate this in a way that maybe you could just remember and, and ask yourself, do I really trust Jesus? I've shared this example before, but it's the best example I could think of. It's the example of a guy named Charles Blondin who lived over 100 years ago. He was a French acrobat and a tight wire walker. And he was famous for crossing the Niagara Gorge in 1859. Here's a picture of him. His exploits were phenomenal. The reports were that he walked across the wire blindfolded on one occasion with a hood over his head. He pushed a wheelbarrow. He made an omelet. I don't know why he decided to make an omelet on top of a high wire, but he did. I think he was just a show off, okay? But in, in light of all these incredible things he did walking across this wire 1,100 feet above the Niagara River, What impresses me most is not that Blondin could do all these things, but that his manager believed in him so much that on one occasion, he actually got on his back and was piggybacked across that wire. Now, that's faith. You know, it's one thing to look at the guy and say, yeah, I believe you can walk across the wire. I even think you can push a wheelbarrow across the wire. I even believe you can make an omelet on the wire if you want to. I don't know why you'd want to, but it's impressive to me that this manager said, I believe in this guy so much that I'm willing to put my full weight on him and trust him for my very existence. That's what we're invited to do with Jesus Christ. We're invited to put our total trust in him where we say, here I am, Jesus, Every bit of my being, I totally trust you to take care of me. I totally trust you to, to save me eternally, but I totally trust you to provide for me and lead for me in this life. Now, that's faith. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do. 
Have you put your trust totally in Jesus? Maybe some of you are just kind of tipping your toe in the edge of the water. Are you willing to jump in and just put your full weight on him? As we keep reading, we see even more reason to believe in him. In Luke 9, verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This was a key realization for me personally when I came to faith. You see, I read passages like this over and over again, and I thought, how impressive. How impressive that Jesus would say, this is what's going to happen. The authorities are going to kill me. I'm going to die. They're going to bury me. And on the third day, I'm going to come back from the dead. And then he did it. And here was my reasoning many years ago when I came to faith where I said, I'm willing to put my full weight, my full trust in Jesus. I said, if Jesus can promise to do that and deliver, then I'm going to trust that he will deliver on all of his promises. And so therefore, I'm going to put my full trust in him. Have you made that decision? Do you believe, do you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, that he's God's anointed leader for your life? If so, does your life show, does your life demonstrate that you're allowing Jesus to lead you? One area that this will be true is our attitude toward the next calling from Jesus, and that's to repent. That's to repent. Now, the word repent means to literally have a change of heart and mind, or as we describe in our starting point class, the decision to no longer live a self-directed life, but instead to instead live a Christ-directed life. This is how Jesus described it as we keep reading in Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple, and that means a student, a learner, a follower of his, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? You see, we all have these moments of truth where we have to decide, are we going to live for self or are we going to deny self? But what does that mean? Many years ago when I was a campus minister, I had a college student one time say to me, he said, you know, Roger, does denying self mean that if I'm in a nice hotel and there's this really comfortable bed that I, that I don't sleep on the bed but instead sleep on the floor? I said, no, that's not denying self. That's stupidity, Okay. So we're not just saying be, you know, mistreat yourself or uh, beat yourself up. But this idea of deny self, it's this idea that we come to those decisions in our life where in many ways it's a fork in the road. And we know that as we face this dilemma, okay, how am I going to respond? What am I going to choose? How am I going to act in this situation? 
We know what we want to do. We know what self desires to do. But then on the other hand, we say, I really believe this is what God wants me to do. It's in those moments of decision that we're called to deny ourselves, to not do what self wants to do, but instead make the choice to obey and do what God wants us to do. I think that's the root of self-denial. It's in those moments that we make a choice to follow God's will, what Jesus wants. This is repentance, a change of mind, a, a change of heart, a mindset for life that leads to a change of life. And so the question I'm asking on this second point is, have you repented? Now, I'm not asking, have you asked for forgiveness? I think people think that that's what the word repent means. I, I know I thought that many years ago, and I remember sitting in a church service one Sunday, and I thought, okay, I need to repent. God, forgive me for everything I ever done that was wrong. I've repented. That wasn't repentance. That was just wanting my ticket punch to go to heaven. The truth of it is, God's calling us to this, this heart change. And I don't think this is just a one-time decision. I think Jesus is calling us to a lifetime of living in continual repentance where we have that heart change that we say, I'm not going to live for self. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live and follow Jesus' commands in my life. You see, that's that decision of a Christ-directed life, not a self-directed life. Now, on the heels of this call for discipleship, which includes repentance, a change of heart and mind, Jesus calls us to go public with our faith. In the very next verse, in verse 26, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I've gone to great lengths to identify with you as human beings. Jesus is saying, I've left heaven, I've left the comfort of being with my Father in paradise, and I'm even willing to go to the cross so that you can have a relationship with the Father and spend eternity with Him. Now, are you willing to open your mouth and identify with me? How would you, how have you responded to that call? Years ago, I had a friend who was extremely honest, and he asked me in a moment of truth, he said, can I be a Christian and just not tell anyone? Now, I, I appreciate his honesty. I wonder how many people have thought that, but just not verbalized it. Honestly, I look back at my youth, that was really the case for me. I, I wanted the benefits of Jesus. I wanted to hang around Jesus and others who believed in him, but I just didn't want to go public with my faith. I was ashamed to admit that I wanted to identify with Jesus. Jesus is calling us not simply to believe, but also to verbally, uh, uh, not only to believe and to repent, but to verbally identify with him. And that's our third blank, this idea of confess, to confess our faith. This is spelled out clearly in Romans 10, a passage that I love that I think just spells it out. 
Here's how it reads in Romans 10. And by the way, I'm reading for the NIRV version. This is a New International Reader's Version. It's written for the third grade level. And I just love it because it's just clear and simple. It says, say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you'll be saved. With your heart, you believe and are made right with God. With your mouth, you say what you believe. And so you're saved. Here we see a clear call for the human response of confession, which is the call to verbally identify, to verbally profess with our lips who we believe Jesus is. And in this passage, we're called to confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that with all my heart. Jesus is Lord. It's a powerful statement of faith. It's not simply a a slogan to repeat or a statement of faith that we ask people to make to jump through a hoop, but instead it is a powerful pledge of allegiance to Jesus as our supreme leader, our ruler, our king, our controller, or as we tell the children here at Southwest, our boss for life. Have you made this confession with your lips? Are you living out what it means to be someone who has humbly surrendered to the leadership of Jesus? Are you continuing to look to him for direction, for leadership, and for guidance in your life? Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? Have you made that confession with your lips? Are you continuing to make that confession with your lips? And are you living it out with your life? Finally, I believe we'd be remiss if we didn't look at what the Bible has to say about the importance of baptism. Unfortunately, in my opinion, far too many people through the years have diminished the importance of baptism. And yet we see in the Bible this human response of baptism is mentioned over and over and over again. In fact, in the book of Acts, when you read about people initially coming to Jesus in the first 30 years history of the church, you see over and over again when people respond to Jesus, they're baptized. And the thing that strikes me is they're baptized immediately. It's taught throughout the Bible. It's the word baptize or baptizing or baptize or baptism, uh, that, that word, the, the Greek, the, the root word of it is the, the Greek verb baptizo. And if you look up that word baptizo in a Greek dictionary, and I've got one of them, if you want to borrow it to check it out for yourself, the word baptizo means to dip, immerse, or plunge. In fact, it was a word that the Greeks used in their everyday language. You know, in the, in the dye industry of Greek, in Greece, they would take a garment and they would dip it in a vat of dye. They would immerse it and bring it up and it would be another color. They would immerse, baptize that garment. Now, here at Southwest, because we want to be a church that really goes by the Bible and we think the Bible is important, we think it's our guide for life, because of that, we want to teach what the Bible teaches. We want to practice what the Bible teaches. So we urge everyone here that worships here and everyone wants to become a member here to, to respond to this call of being immersed. And if you've never been Uh, baptized by immersion, we want to invite you to consider the power and the beauty of this faith act. 
And we want to encourage you to consider being truly united to others here at the church body at Southwest who have been baptized by immersion. Now, you might say, are you just being technical over the description of one particular word? Well, I think words are important. And yet, at the same time, as we look at how the Bible describes baptism, there's this beautiful description that describes what happens in baptism. And I want to read it to you today. It's found in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. It says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, now if you remember that word in the original language meant immersed, all of you who were baptized, immersed into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Have you experienced that? Have you been baptized by immersion? Have you experienced this participation in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? If not, then we invite you this weekend to not simply believe in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, but we invite you to participate in it. You see, just like Jesus died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and was resurrected, when a person goes down into the water, they're buried with Christ. They're united with him. But they're not only united with Jesus' death, they also experience a personal death. You say, oh, that's kind of scary. No, I'm not talking about physical death. It's a death to the old life. And when they come up out of the water, as Romans describes, they're raised to live a new life. If you've been thinking about this decision, then possibly today is the day for you to take this important faith step. Now, make sure you don't divorce it from believe, repentance, and confession because we think all those are important to embrace and put together. But if you've done that, if you believe, if you've had a heart change, if you're willing to confess Jesus as Lord, then we want to invite you to take this important faith step today. We're excited. We have, I believe it is six individuals here today that have made their decision to be baptized. And we're going to celebrate that in just a moment after we have a time of communion. But maybe there's others in the crowd that you've been thinking about it, but you've not yet acted upon it. We want to invite you to consider taking that step. We have actually extra clothes in the prayer room. We have extra towels in case somebody would like to respond today. We're going to ask our ministry staff and elders to maybe go in the student wing. And if, if somebody's here and you're like, man, this is just all hitting me new, I'd like to talk to somebody about it. And you're maybe not quite ready to make a decision or maybe you're thinking about making a decision today, but you'd like to talk through it, make sure you understand it. We want to invite you to go into the student wing and maybe even today you could make that decision. For those of you who are just checking out Southwest and you're still trying to process what's being taught here that we want to just invite you today to witness individuals being baptized, and you'll have the opportunity to see the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus 
being demonstrated in, your, in front of your very eyes. Jesus ordained two practices for us to observe in the life of the church. One is baptism that we're talking about today, in which we are initially united in the death, burial, and resurrection. The other is the Lord's Supper, which is an opportunity for us to renew our commitment to the risen Lord. In our starting point class, we explain in many ways baptism is the believer's wedding ceremony. And the Lord's Supper is the renewal of the vows. You know, I was baptized many years ago. And yet every week when I take communion, that's a powerful time for me to be reminded of what Jesus did for me so I could have a relationship with God. But also it's a time for me to examine my heart and to renew my commitment for another week to follow after Jesus. Let's allow this to be a truly a meaningful time of renewal, reflection, and remembrance. And then following this, we'll have a song, and then we will be able to celebrate with others who have made that decision to be baptized today. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for how your word is so clear. We thank you for these clear instructions we read today, and I pray that everyone here has responded in that way or will choose to respond today. Father, help us now as we have this time of communion just to remember what Jesus did for us. Help us to examine our hearts and renew for another week our commitment to the Lord and Savior of our lives and souls. It's in his name we pray. Amen.